Hi guys, this is Vicki with the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast, and today I'm here with Sarah um, Keeling of Surge and, other, and the Progressive Network, and we are going to talk a little bit about what's happening on July 10th, but first we always do a check-in. Okay. So, um, I'm going to ask, what are you reading that's challenging you lately? What am I reading that's challenging me lately? Um, uh, I am reading, um, I just, uh, I'm partway through, um, So You Want to Talk About Race? Yeah. By Ijeoma Oliu, I can never say her name, last name correctly. Um... I don't know that 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 I could either. So, O-L-U-O. anyway, I've O-L- heard the book. O L U O. Yeah, it's it's literally in my Audible queue, waiting yeah, for me to read it's, it. It's a really good kind of uh, um, racial justice 101. Yeah, kind of book. So, um, that's what I'm reading. So today, I just started on on my Audible because I love Audible. I love an audio book. I can listen to it while I'm doing sort of mindless tasks at work. And I am listening to One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Created the Christian Right. Oh, interesting. So that is really challenging me um, because I really thought it was a reaction to like socialism and the Soviets in the 1950s. And it turns out it's started way earlier than that and was, in fact, a reaction to Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal hmm. because corporate greed didn't like that they were being taxed quite so much. So isn't that funny how that works? Interesting. Um, and how strictly they're tied together still. Um, a name that you should look up, podcast listeners, and maybe Sarah too, <laughs> is James Fifield, and he was part of an organization that really was the first Christian right organization that was super tied with um, Catalysts. So you should definitely look him up um, if you're not going to read the book. The book is written by Kevin Cruz, um, unless he pronounces his name Cruzy. I'm not 100% sure of pronunciations either. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm reading. Awesome. Um, so let's, let's, let's talk about... Um, July 10th, and All right. leading up to it, let's talk about what Surge is. Okay, so Surge is Showing Up for Racial Justice, and it's a national organization that focuses on bringing white people into the racial justice movement, partnering with, having accountability partners with organizations that are led by people of color. And um, so I started a Columbia Surge chapter the summer of 2016, and at that time, we partnered with the um, Simple Justice Black Lives Matter chapter that's here in Columbia. And one of the things, our, our main focus is educating white people to get them to know how to be allies in the community and go out and work with these organizations that are led by people of color without burdening those people by making them educate them and spending a lot of time and emotional energy doing that when and sometimes doing our money work. if we can if and we have definitely a- definitely um using our generational wealth yeah. um and our owning owning class um background to pay our money pay money to when when we can help people um that are marginalized specifically people of color black people we've done recently we've done work with a um a trans advocate in Columbia. We've helped with two situations 
where a trans woman was beaten up. And so we helped, and she didn't have a safe home, so we helped pay so she could have a safe place to stay in a hotel room while she recovered for a week or two weeks. And then we recently um, put out another call and um, collected Somebody money. Was short of rent and mm-hmm. utilities. Short of a trans person was short of rent because they had to buy their medication. And so we were able to fill the gap and help that person um, and stay. It's, it's, and even before that, we worked a little bit with Ban the Box Columbia. Mm-hmm. We've done work with Ban the Box. Which we talked about here on the podcast. We also raised $500 for the Columbia Housing Authority to yep. give out to um, to tenants. When Alan, Alan Benedict, Benedict Court, I was going to call yeah. it ABC, when Alan Benedict Court um, was closed. So we were able to give $500 towards, towards that. that. So... Um, yeah, so those are some of the things we do. We also try to, when necessary and when possible, to put our bodies in the way and take mm-hmm. up space when it's safer for people. That T- Tell us about sometimes we've done that here. Let me, okay, so to take up space when it's safer for people that are white to do that. So that has basically been when the Confederates come to the State House for whatever reason, the first time we did it was Heritage and Sovereignty Day. I don't even know what that is, but they had an event at the State House in December when it was probably maybe 20 degrees. Um, and so we stood out um, and protested them with our signs. And some people say, like, why give that group attention? They don't need attention. That's what they want. And It's not about them. It's not. And while we were there, some woman came up and she said, we're from Ohio. Does this happen every weekend? Oh. And I was like, no. And that's why I want to be there whenever we can so people don't think that all South Carolina thinks that way and that not all South Carolina supports the uh, the lost cause myth of yeah. the Confederacy. And So, so let, let's talk a little bit about the lost cause myth. I know that we did some signs at a protest. We did. But, so we also... Um, go out the the confederates come out on july 10 and so those are the other times that we have protested them and last year we focused on educating people about the lost cause so we had posters that um, highlighted different myths of the lost cause so things that um people that um, hold up the lost cause is true believe in like that enslaved people were happy that the civil war was not about slavery things like that that people were taught in school Mm-hmm. And so that's what they believe. And and it's a shame that people are taught falsehoods in school, but it also goes back to the longstanding history of white supremacy in this state mm-hmm. where the daughters of the Confederacy controlled textbook boards across the South, not just in South Carolina, and determined what would go into textbooks and what wouldn't. And they did not want anything in textbooks that would be disrespectful of their Southern ancestors. Right. Which is just a shame. Uh, You know, you and I have talked many times about my own family's past. Uh, Yeah, I am, in one sense of the word, and only one, I'm a daughter of the Confederacy in that I had family members that I can trace back that fought for the Confederate cause. Mm -hmm. One that died of camp fever in Georgetown in 1861. So I am working very hard to make up for that. In, in yeah. as many ways as I can, yeah. but like it's it's important for people like me, I think, to speak up and to talk to 
people who are look like me and who maybe mm-hmm. have been mistaken in their their thoughts and to tell what really happened. And so Absolutely. I think that's one of the big missions of Surge is to educate yes. white folks. Yes, and to teach teach us the history that we never learned in school. Yeah. So, so we talked about July 10th. Why is mm-hmm. that a significant date? So July 10th is a significant date because on July 10th, 2015, the Confederate flag was removed from the State House grounds. And to talk about that, we need to go back to June 17th, 2015, where um, the Charleston massacre, there was the shooting um, at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, where nine parishioners died. And so that was the impetus um, because the shooter, I won't say his name, but he had social media pictures with him waving the Confederate flag, holding the Confederate flag. And so I remember driving home after work not long after the shooting and thinking, so the American flag is at half-mast, but there's the Confederate flag on the state house grounds flying high. Yeah. And I realized with flag protocol, they're not going to lower the Confederate flag, but it was just, uh, it just gave me a bad feeling in the pit yeah, of my stomach. And- I will say that the protests for that was my first ever political um, involvement. <laughs> I feel I feel a little ashamed about that because I should have been active more. But yeah. I went out to those protests in that hot summer day, and it was hot. Yes. We, in South yes. Carolina, we only do protests when it's very cold or very hot. Or very yeah, hot. We don't know works. exactly why. That's the way it works. <laughs> Perhaps the weather makes us all a little um, a little. Uh, unsettled <laughs> yeah, yeah um but the i i had draw, taken made a few signs and they were drawn in elementary school teacher style because i am the child of an elementary school teacher and i have pictures of myself with those signs and i am so embarrassed looking at them now because they should have been more serious <laughs> rather than you know where i colored in the letter with blue polka dots yeah, and yeah. everything like that <laughs> Because that that was who I was. Yeah, um, that's all right. That's you know right. that. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. so every so the flag came down on July 10th, and Nikki Haley gets a lot of credit for it. But Nikki Haley was forced to do it by the National Republican Party, and so obviously the legislature still had to pass pass legislation to take it down because it's part of the Heritage Act. So two thirds of the state legislature had to vote to have it taken down, but. Haley was being pressured by the National Republican Party to make that happen. And so in one of the photo ops where she's talking about the flag coming down, um, Rents, 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 Prince, Priebus, Priebus um, is in the background. So while she gets credit, it really wasn't her. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm going to interrupt briefly. Mm-hmm. Did you stay up and watch the debate? I, di- I did and watch the vote. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And so every year since then, on July 10th, the Confederate sympathizers, perhaps the South Carolina Secessionist Party, I don't know, have come back. They've brought a large mobile flagpole and put the flag back up in the same exact place where it was on the state house grounds and gather around it and play Dixie. and. In other words, just like have white people party time. Yes. It's not much of a party, though, because they're literally standing in a 100-degree sun. Some of them have, like, Confederate war uniforms on. It's kind of ridiculous. So we've um, always gone out and protested them on those days with our signs standing on the street. And, uh, yeah, and two years ago, for some reason, there was a bunch of um, militia men with them, uh, which made me a little uneasy. 
But anyway, so sometimes it's kind of a – we can cuss on here, right? Yeah, it's we can cuss. A, it's kind of a shit show um, in that there's Confederate people, there's people – Serge, we go to just kind of hold signs. We're not trying to change the hearts and minds of the people behind the the other side of the barrier that are with the flag. We just want people to know that there are people in South Carolina that disagree. And then there are people that are on our side, quote unquote, but come with bullhorns and yell at them. And uh, there's people that take their lunch breaks and come down just to kind of watch the shit show unfold. So anyway, it's always interesting. But this year... So you have to you can reserve the state house a year in advance. This this was subversive and in, in intensely subversive. I'm um, very proud of Sarah for this. I um at 12:01 on July 10th, 2018, 12:01 a.m. I sent in my reservation request to reserve the house on July 10th, 2019, and so I got my reservation in before they did, and so. They may be able to come back, but they won't be able to put the flag up in the same place. Yeah. So what what are we doing to commemorate the day? So on that day, we're to commemorate the day, we're calling it Lunch on the Lawn, and it's from 11 to 1 on Wednesday, July 10th. And we didn't want to, you know, we talked about having a big event, maybe having speakers, but we really, we went, we tried to get in touch with people from Mother Emanuel Church. Cause because we didn't, we didn't want to disrespect them. Yeah, we didn't want to do anything disrespectful or maybe off-key and set a, a bad tone. So we weren't able to get in touch with them. And so we opted for a more low key event where we're just there able to take up space and, um, yeah. And, so and I would commemorate the events. I would have been willing to sit out there with my long chair in the spot where the flag was and, um, maybe give everybody the finger. Well, and that I may still do that after lunch on the lawn. You never know. <laughs> um, so we'll be, the main event will be from 11 to one. There will be organizations that are going to table with us to have tables out there to give information to people. So the progressive network is on board. Surge, obviously simple justice, black lives matter will be there. Um, I think Carolina Peace has signed on, Harriet Hancock Center. So there's there's others that I'm not be able to think of right now that have signed on to join us for that event. We're just asking people to bring their lunch. We're going to have a few sandwiches that we're going to make that we'll provide. We'll have water, we'll have sunscreen, we'll have blankets, we'll have tents. Um, blankets to sit on, not cover up with because it'll it, probably it will, be It hot. will be 500 degrees out there. Guaranteed. So, And we're just going to take up space and be there. And there we're, we're talking about having a... Um, a memorial table for the victims for the Emanuel Nine um, to remember them. So, and then to remember other victims of white supremacy. People can write down names of people that we've lost. Um, I, I we could somehow hang our little memorial. Yeah, we uh, thought about to that too. Mm-hmm. To, to abuse our cards that we have. Uh, so we created this very low cost movable memorial where we used old library cards and permanent markers. And listed the names and dates of people who were lynched in South Carolina that we know their names. There were some that were on our list that were listed as unknown, which always makes me sad. Yeah, and, um, I, and I'm sure it's just a partial list. Like, we don't have a full list yet. Yeah, but we, 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 we can't, on the Statehouse grounds, we're not allowed to put up signs or anything permanent. So we had to think about a way we could honor people in a low-cost way and without violating the rules, right. and that was the one way we could think of doing it. And I'm going to say that the I, when I was writing the names and the dates 
on those cards, it was a very solemn thing for me. I did not do it lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we talked about including those as well. Yeah. Um, and, and having paper out on the table so people could write names. or, I mean, I, I joked and said we could let the people who have Confederate flags in, they could write their names because they're also victims of white supremacy. They don't know it. They don't know it. Um, uh, so that's the, the kind of the, the plan as it, mm-hmm. as it stands right now. Um, lunch on the lawn, July 10th. So if somebody wanted, an organization wanted to get involved or anything, mm-hmm. how could they contact you? They can email me, and I'm going to have to look up the address because I never know which order it's in, whether it's Surge Columbia or Columbia Surge. Okay, give give Sarah just a second. <laughs> but it's, um, it's a Gmail. Okay, it's Columbia Surge, so Columbia, S-U-R-J, at gmail.com. You can um, send me an email, and um, yeah. That, that would be, we'd love to have you involved if you're an organization listening out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that showing up and, and taking up space is, is a good way to spend that day. Yeah, so if you're and, not part of an organization and, you, and you're just you, come on out. Bring, bring your sandwich yep. and your water. Yep. We'll have sunscreen. We'll have, well, actually, I think we're going to make some peanut butter and jelly and some, like, ham sandwiches just for people um, that come. Yeah. Um, so and some snacks. That'll be awesome. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, how y'all can get in contact with me for the podcast. Um, if you need us, we are on Twitter at SC underscore New Legacy and on Instagram at SC underscore New Legacy. And you can email us at South Project at gmail.com. And I believe that we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash SCNLP. For this week, if you want to talk to us about um, an issue that you're concerned with, just send us a message and, and, and get ta- let us tell us what you want to hear. Um, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Sarah, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Greetings, New Legacy Man. This is the Marty Fox with the South Carolina Progressive Network. And I'm um, interviewing Deanna Berry from Denmark Citizens for Safe Water. We're going to talk about uh, the situation in Denmark, the water crisis, and uh, a couple of things with uh, the up and coming activists and organizers to uh, give us a overview of what the deal is going on out there. So, Appreciate y'all tuning in to the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. And there we go. How you doing today, Dan? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing, Mario? I'm good, I'm good. I appreciate you dialing in. Yeah. I know you got a lot of things to do. So I'll just get started right away. Tell us about uh, your organization and give us a little overview of the media crisis. Yes. So, um, Denmark Citizens for Safe Water, it is a, uh, we're a grassroots organization formed by a large group of citizens in an effort to take back our city. So, we practice the old school mentality of community helping community. 
And the reason why we have to do that is because the state of South Carolina, which is DHEC, and the Denmark city officials basically abandoned citizens um, as soon as we found out the discovery of our current water crisis. Um, so we're basically left to fend for ourselves. Um, so we partnered uh, together and uh, started building alliances um, because we had just learned that for 10 years, the city was poisoned with our public drinking water system without our knowledge with a non-EPA-approved chemical that's never been tested on humans. They put that in the water for the people to drink, for the people to wash with, for the people to make, you know, bottles for their babies. That's what they did to the city. So we're fighting back because um, we need help. Our, our, the experts have told us that we are possibly worse than Flint, Michigan, um, but they won't know for sure unless they're able to get in and complete what they started. And I'm talking about the uh, Virginia Tech professor who uncovered Flint, Michigan, which is Dr. Mark Edwards and um, his team of engineering students. You know, for them to be able to come back and finish what they started so we can finish the work. And then to learn also that there's an illegal dumping site of raw sewage that's flowing into one of our local rivers. Um, at what point do we matter? So we, we join together to break, promote awareness to what's going on, to also bridge the gap between community and the agencies or government officials that are set to basically protect us, but it fails, and to um, fight for stricter law enforcement on those that don't do the right thing when it comes to regulating public drinking water. Um, I want to expound a little bit on some of the some of the things that emerged. Do you have like any narratives from some of the citizens out there as far as like personal health problems you might be experiencing? Just what's the oh. everyday kind of challenge that that situations create? Yeah, um, I, I have had so many um, uh, stories that I could share with you, but. Um, there's one in particular that I shared on yesterday evening, late last night. Matter of fact, it was midnight um, on social media, where I shared with the world a testimony of a man who lives in Denmark. He's a middle-aged man with a family. Looks like he works really hard. Who shared what his family had to go through? He said he has to drive so far away because there's no industry in our in our current area. So they have to drive to a completely different county to work, come back. By the time they come back to find out that when he takes a shower after his hard day's work, that his body is being um, affected and his children and his wife. And then he talks about the health conditions that their family has been dealing with and talks about how his wife's hair She's unconscious about her her hair because um, her hair is falling out. So they've got medical expenses out the yin yang, and then paying high expenses for water bill and taxes because our county pays the high taxes. We're one of the highest counties in South Carolina that pays the highest rates for taxes. So that man shared his testimony with me, and he said, "Ms. Barry, I'm glad that you and all the others." 
brought this situation to light. He said, we would have never known. And just hearing those testimonies and also some of the other ones, seeing citizens with their skin, like, just falling off their their body, um, their body scarred from the the healed sores that was on their body. I mean, this is the reality that people right in your back door are facing every single day. And it seems for so long they feel like they've been forgotten, tucked away, no one cares, no one's going to fight for us. And now you've got a, 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 a large group of people, a mass of people coming to help them. Man, there's there's been a fire that's been ignited in Denmark, and we're just going to keep fighting for our lives. That's what we're going to do. 